Welcome to Homestead Gardening in the Texas Gulf Coast with Kristen Howard. Did you know that gardening is a good activity for a person of any age and any fitness level or capability level, regardless of ability or injury? From very young to very old, from very fit to partially mobile, you can garden if you have the right materials, right attitude, and are willing to stay within the guidelines of what your body will physically allow you to do. This episode intentionally follows my many podcast episodes related to soil preparation and composting, and YouTube episodes showing you how I physically build beds and complete gardening maintenance activities correctly because it is best to garden with the right materials from the start. In this episode, though, I will offer advice on how to change your gardening setup based on the age and ability of the gardener it's designed for. This type of advice is great for contractors and installers as well as people who may caregive for the young or the old that would like to include them in your gardening activities. And don't forget, this information may pertain to you personally if you're recovering from a physical injury or have a physical limitation. This episode also intentionally follows the previous self-care podcast episode because I think having the right attitude and the right mindset is important before you begin to garden. You can receive more benefits when you garden than just growing plants, and the self-care episode may help you to discover some of those additional benefits for yourself. On a personal note, a past injury kept me from being able to physically garden for many years, and I had to find unique ways to experience the benefits of gardening without actually growing vegetables or new plants. I actually found benefit through careful, slow gardening maintenance, and it was the simple act of spending time outdoors focused on a small, simple task, or simple walk around the garden to check on my plants and see what was still fruiting or growing without my help that helped me reduce my stress each day. About 15 years ago, I took a class on how to design a vegetable and herb garden for communities that included both the very young and the very old. I learned how to design gardens for hospitals that included families and patients who were recovering. A few years after I took the class, I was in an auto accident that caused an injury that I actually didn't even find out about until many years later. The undiscovered injury caused the muscles and nerves in my right arm and shoulder a lot of trouble. And this part of my body wasn't exactly allowing me to be physically fit anymore. Not only did I have to stop almost all of my hobbies that were right-hand dominant, but I was unable to exercise in the way I was used to and could no longer complete traditional gardening activities without being in a lot of pain. In fact, my right arm became so weak by the time the injury was actually found out about that I couldn't drink a glass of water without using both hands. I felt like a toddler, constantly asking for help to do simple things. Usually when people suffer from an injury in an area of their body has pain or becomes weak, they are less and less likely to use that part of their body or muscle group because of the pain or because the muscles are not working the way they should, which can cause inflammation and tightness when another muscle group tries to compensate for the weaker part of the body. It can can also injure the part of the body that tries to compensate. Physical therapy slowly strengthens the muscle groups that are not working properly and helps to retrain the muscle memory so you can use the weak part of your body correctly again But this too comes with pain and inflammation, and physical therapy is a lot of hard, boring, frustrating work. So I was able to draw from what I learned in the Gardening for Communities class to not only change the way I gardened, but how I redesigned my garden to support my physical therapy and care for my injury, changing the way I thought about gardening entirely. 
So because gardening for a range of abilities is a very personal topic for me, I'll be sharing my personal experience on how I improved myself throughout my recovery process using the garden and controlled workouts in addition to discussing gardening for all ages in this episode so that you can fully understand how your garden can support you at any stage you're in. I think a lot of people don't necessarily need to have a serious injury to need advice on how to set up a garden that considers a range of physical abilities. It took many years of slow, careful recovery, but now the arm that couldn't hold a glass of water can lift a gallon of water. Instead of asking for help to unload bags of mulch, I can do all this work by myself. Just to clarify, I always started my physical therapy and workouts to improve my injury under the care of a doctor and professional therapist and worked out in a controlled environment with weights before using the garden as my workout. I made sure to work out with those weights in realistic ways that mimic the normal everyday activities I wanted to be able to do more easily and gardening activities that I found to be difficult. I supplemented my recovery through careful movements of the garden that continued to enforce safety for myself. And I recommend to anyone who is recovering from an injury or who may have muscle weakness for whatever reason, to start by consulting a professional physical therapist to make sure you are educated in how to use your muscles correctly before starting an exercise routine or even setting up a garden, which usually involves a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of muscle groups, most people don't use on a daily basis, and tools which may also be awkward or difficult to use if you are new to using them. Let's start by discussing how to design your garden for children under three foot tall or who are under the age of four. Now, I don't have children of my own, but what I do have is a lot of different age ranges, heights, skill levels, interest levels, and personalities that show up to my garden to, let's say, help out in exchange for a reward. My garden is planted for children, but not really designed for children. It's not even that safe for adults, honestly. We have spiky weeds like amaranth growing in the warm season and painful weeds like stinging nettle, which feels like you've been bit by fire ants when it touches you, growing in the cool season. Usually one of these plants is free-ranging in my garden, on the walk to the garden, or just off the pathway. So most children fall victim to one or both of these weeds in the garden because children are very excited to be in the garden and usually not able to focus on multiple things at once in order to avoid these plants. So recommendation number one for designing for a short young person is to keep your weeds cleared at least one foot off all pathways and have some sort of game that you play on the walk to the garden if you're concerned at all, <laughs> like I am. Uh, maybe like the hands behind your back rule and stay in a single file rule that some schools have for kids to keep them from touching each other and things in the hallway that they shouldn't on their walk from one place to another. Another thing I've noticed about the many visitors of this age is they get tired quickly, want a place to sit down as soon as you stop walking, they get overheated very quickly, and they need something to drink pretty much all the time. So recommendation number two is bring a drink and a snack outside just in case. In the warm season, a watered down, cool temperature natural juice might be a good idea, along with a salty snack like a cracker in the garden if you have a child that sweats a lot. Recommendation number three is to have a portable kid lawn chair that comes out to the garden with you or design a garden just for your child based on their current height so they can both sit and work in their garden. Now this recommendation requires you to measure your child from the ground to the bottom of the back of the knee and build a garden to the height that will allow them to sit and get back up without your help. Obviously, since we are talking about kids under the age of four, I don't expect you to build a garden for a child that's just learning to walk but I assume we're both talking about that independent three to four year old time frame when 
The child wants to help you and accomplish tasks on their own, but they aren't necessarily that helpful. So if, for example, you built your child a six inch tall bed that is only two foot wide and maybe four foot long, and then allowed permission to dig and play in your compost pile, this may give you enough time while they're occupied in your own garden to get some gardening done yourself without too many distractions. Having their own garden may also give your child a sense of accomplishment and independence. This is a nearly risk-free way for your toddler to make their own decisions without too many negative consequences for you or them. For very young children under two, having sensory experiences along the perimeter of the garden, like herbs and flowers, are a great way to let your child have some freedom without getting into too much trouble. You can have a variety of textures and colors of just leaves of perimeter herb plants too, and you honestly wouldn't even have to trouble yourself with growing flowers unless you really wanted to. Depending on the focus level of your child, it may be good to set a timer so both of you can work in your own garden for 15 minutes at a time and then take a break together or take a walk to look at each other's gardens after 15 minutes so you can avoid the look at this, look at that interruptions every 30 seconds while you work. Depending on the skill level of your toddler, you may want to use gardening to strengthen abilities using the garden's repetitive tasks to your advantage. For example, if you're teaching your child to use a spoon, bring a spoon out to the garden and have them practice moving soil, compost, worm casting, sand, anything that will help build that skill and keep them occupied with a simple task that allows a lot of error. If your child needs to practice squatting or reaching, the garden has a million opportunities to practice this just by looking underneath leaves for insects or insect eggs. A lot of people will buy sand tables for their children or water tables and other toys to help them with dexterity and other motor skills, but the garden can offer those to you instead. Just think of creative ways to mimic all of those children's toys and use that garden to your advantage. If your three or four-year-old is not as interested in following instructions or struggling to follow instructions, their garden is also a low-risk location to practice this. Simple instructions like, can you bring the yellow seed packet to me? Or, can you poke holes in a row so we can plant these seeds? Or multiple task instructions like, poke 10 holes and then plant two seeds in each hole may help you and your toddler figure out how to communicate and listen as well as give them that challenge they probably want and need. You can reverse the process by having them tell and teach you how to plant seeds after they practice with your instructions themselves to see how to communicate back to you. I think that the under three foot tall and under four year old class of gardeners do have very specific limitations, especially related to how much weight they can lift, their coordination and dexterity or fine motor challenges. But many older people or those who may have suffered a brain trauma or other injury can benefit from the program suited for young children and toddlers too. If you're designing a garden for someone that fits in this category, consider designing similar to a toddler's limited range of abilities and adjust the gardening activities as you see improvement in the adult. You can use this same program for visitors to your garden that want to help. I made a mistake early on when I started having friends and family visit the garden. They wanted to help, but I, of course, wanted to get things done, not babysit adults or children. <laughs> One person seemed physically fit, and they were, but they were used to doing only 30 to 60 minute workouts, and they weren't acclimated to Houston's outdoor heat and humidity. Additionally, their physical fitness activity was through CrossFit, which doesn't mimic movements that gardeners use. At the end of the day, I had to locate a chair for them to sit in, in the shade. We had to take two unscheduled snack breaks that I usually wouldn't take, 
And I had one of my rose shrubs massacred because this person crossfit through a four by four post and it fell on the rose and it was fine. The rose was fine. But it taught me that even adults need some carefully communicated instructions when it's their first time in a new garden. Gardening in the heat can become exhausting and disorienting and uncomfortable if you're using muscles that you don't normally use. Now that I've learned, I have any new person in my garden, regardless of their age, start by simply planting seeds and following my verbal instructions. Usually those seeds never sprout because I'm not a great communicator, but all I am trying to do with that slow, easy introduction is find out the ability level of that person who wants to garden with me and adjust me to fit their skill level. The next age range I'll talk about is age four to 10. Four-year-olds really fit into either the previous category or the current category, and it just depends on the child. I know a lot of four-year-olds that still struggle with following instructions and listening, and they may be a better fit for the previous category. But there is that aha moment with kids around five years old. Most are in some sort of organized school program by age five, even if it's just gymnastics or soccer or swim lessons, where they have to listen to the teacher and follow instructions in order to stay safe. After your child's aha moment is when they fit into this category. This is when you can start aging up your garden. You can still plan for seeding and breaks, and you should. And you can even grow the height of the garden as your child grows. Maybe you add another board on top of the last board on your raised garden bed. Maybe you double the size of their garden to be longer or a little deeper. Maybe you don't do any of that and just add a cattle panel that's four foot or eight foot high so they can start growing climbing plants and practicing using a step stool or reaching up to do activities. You can also have special programs for this age range that are really fun. This is a good age to introduce worm farms and composting. Composting kitchen scraps is a fun activity that you can do indoors when you aren't gardening, as well as worm composting. Shredding paper and taking out the worm food can be added to your child's chore list, but really worm composting and regular composting can have a lot of biology and science lessons attached to it if you're up for the challenge of simple home science experiments. Adding a thermometer to your hot compost station and explaining how your kitchen scraps are feeding microbes which heat up the soil is a difficult thing to understand unless you can see it for yourself. The garden offers an opportunity for plant life cycle lessons, cross-pollination, and reproduction. There's so many biology lessons related to botany that will be covered a few times in your child's school career, but I promise you it won't stick unless they see it for themselves. You can take in flowers and cut them in half to see the inside cut sections of stems open, and do so many other science dissections. Growing potato plants in a barrel is also fun at this age. As the potato plants grow above the soil, you continuously cover the leafy green with loose soil until the barrel is full. Then, once the potato plant dies, you dump the barrel to see that the entire stem was growing potatoes that whole time that the plant was growing. It's not just a fun experiment, but also a great way to save space. For the children who have visited my garden, it tends to be around that age seven or eight year old time frame where the child is interested in what I call weird garden science stuff like cutting open plants or young fruit to see what it looks like when it's in the middle of growing. Pulling up plants to see roots or digging in compost to see how that's progressing is fun too. This age range also likes taste tests and tasting challenges to try new things. The senses are actually more important with this age. We walk around and smell leaves before and after crushing them and feel textures to identify plants without labels. More sensory lessons are offered at this age than the previous age group when I have visitors. 
I've also noticed that with this age group, a take-home reward is a big hit, usually a dried gourd or maybe some flowers that they were allowed to pick and make into an arrangement when they visited. Most recently, I had a visitor that was around age eight, and he has always taken interest in my garden, asked questions, helped me plant seeds, and asked for updates on his plants in the garden. He saw some of my green birdhouse gourds the last time he visited and asked if that gourd was one that I let his brother and him smash last year. Smashing things is also something they like to do, by the way. I told him it was another gourd, but I had a dried version of the birdhouse gourd if he wanted to take it home, as long as he didn't smash it at my house because I didn't want it growing in the yard next year. And that's exactly what happened to the last gourd they smashed. So I dug up the dried bottle gourd from the closet and presented it to him. And of course, this bottle gourd was a yellow-brown color instead of green, so he was impressed with the color difference and how lightweight it was and how it didn't even have a hole Uh, even though everything on the inside had dried up except for the seeds rattling inside. Then my husband asked to look at it for some crazy reason and tossed it around, dropped it, and the gourd cracked in half and seeds went everywhere. The reaction from this child was very adult, but I could also tell he was not excited to take home the broken gourd. I retrieved another dried gourd from the closet and all was well. It's been over a month since that gourd went home with him, and apparently this kid shows it off to everyone that visits his house and then carefully puts it back in his room in a special spot because he knows how fragile it is. It was the cheapest gift I've ever given a kid in my life and possibly the most appreciated. For children above age 10, I try to cater to the personalities I get, which have a range, but most have teen energy that is slightly abrasive and disruptive, so I like to put these kids to work. Cutting down limbs, moving things, digging, learning to use tools properly, and constructing are my preferred activities for the preteen and teenage visitors. These children also tend to have a hard time listening and following rules because they are a little too rambunctious or some sort of hybrid rambunctious and lazy. And I like to give them a simple set of instructions with repetition to try to help them focus and stay active on their own schedule. Something else I've noticed about that preteen teenage is that they want to see results right away. That's why I like to have them construct or move things around so they can see the difference in their efforts immediately or within the hour. Clearing large weeds or vines or digging up plants and moving them is a great way to see fast results, and usually it's pretty darn helpful. If I have a bed to construct that uses power tools, this is also a great time to teach shop safety and power tool use. I am not great at using tools, and I actually get my husband involved for these lessons. It's great for the kids to see that I'm not an expert and I need to ask for help, but it's even better to have them learn from someone that can suggest better techniques for using the tools And because he's been using these tools from the same age as those kids, he may have ideas that I would never have thought of. Using power tools or constructing projects for the garden is a great way to build self-confidence for a teen. These kids don't really love take-home gifts like the previous age group, but they do like to smash things, as I've mentioned before. This is where the gourds have really come in handy. Gourds have been grown in the garden for years just for something to smash, by me since I'm a giant child, and gourd smashing on the driveway is a common occurrence. Bonfires are also a frequent gift that I give. If we have a tree stump to burn out, we teach how to start a fire and keep a fire burning, and the teenage group really loves this activity, and so do the adults. Jumping past adulthood, just for a moment, we're going to move into the elderly age group. 
And this age group requires a different programming based on ability, but more importantly, safety. Now, my garden isn't safe for visitors. I have vines growing in the pathways. I keep tools and pots in the pathways. And the paths just aren't level or wide enough to accommodate somebody with a walker, a cane, a wheelchair, or assistance from a second person. And that includes an adult or a child walking next to each other. To design the garden for someone who is elderly or has lower body mobility limitations, you have to start designing first with access in mind. And you can do this using ADI guidelines, which are the Americans for Disability Act guidelines. You don't need a certified ADA garden unless you're installing for a commercial property, but these guidelines offer advice for path width, path material selection, and installation requirements to make the pathway safe. 36 inches wide is the standard for wheelchairs, and I suggest a wheelchair accessible garden is constructed as a U-shape with access to all sides and no deeper than 30 inches. The inside of the U-shape should be wide enough for the chair to turn and face all interior sides of the U, and so the wheelchair can be scooted up alongside the wall of the bed, so the person using the wheelchair has options on how to access the bed depending on whether or not they can lean forward. Beds built at chair arm height may be fine, but the bed should actually be designed to accommodate the limitations of the person using the chair and hopefully also accommodate the person assisting in the garden that is more likely to do the more difficult maintenance chores. To design a garden for wheelchair sitting, measure the height of the seat, height of the armchair rail, and measure to the armpit of that person using the chair. Then ask the person to reach out with their arm at a 45 degree angle down, straight out, and a 45 degree angle up to find out how far they are comfortable reaching. Do this for both arms to the side and in front. Their arm length may or may not represent how far they can reach at these locations. Design the garden based on how well they can use their arm comfortably to do those repetitive garden tasks. Other great ideas for gardeners with limited mobility is to simply change the way you think about gardening. Plant in more pots or hanging baskets that might be easier to reach for somebody who cannot walk far distances and walk all the way out to the garden. You can even try vertical gardening or circular gardens. If your gardener has trouble getting up and down, then a standing garden and a vertical garden is probably going to be a lot more comfortable. You can either have a really tall raised bed or you can have certain tiers of that bed to make sure that certain gardeners can reach the lower tiers and other gardeners with mobility problems can reach the upper tiers. But truly vertical gardening has a ton of benefits and is going to be able to accommodate a lot of accessibility equipment and a lot of different ranges of motion. The best material for a more accessible garden is going to be something really solid, like a concrete paver. Gravel is okay, but gravel can be a trip hazard if it's not installed properly. And the only accessible gravel is going to be a truly well-compacted decomposed granite. And most people doing a home garden do not know how to properly compact decomposed granite. It actually takes a lot of time and several rainstorms before that decomposed granite can be properly compacted unless you're willing to buy commercial equipment to do that. Now, my elderly age group doesn't necessarily need to have all of the little instant gratification that my younger age group needs to have, but it is really beneficial to have some instant gratification in these types of gardens or for this type of gardener. I always recommend planting with seeds if you have that luxury, but in this case, I recommend cutting out as many chores and labor as possible with gardening for the elderly age group. 
And instead, I recommend at least planning on a few instant gratification pieces to the puzzle. For example, buying all of your herbs already grown may be a great way for you to have that instant gratification and instant use where the garden can be transferred immediately to the kitchen and indoor activity using that garden so that the person is more comfortable during the gardening process. You can still do seeds, of course, but you may want to at least start some sections of the garden with a few plants that are usable right away just to make that gardening activity a little bit more fun and something to enjoy and look forward to. Now, what if you don't have injuries or limitations that you know of? Well, trust me, there is a limitation that you have. You may just not know what it is until after you started your garden. My recommendation is that before you dive into a big garden project, evaluate your own physical fitness and activity level. And I've already given you a little disclaimer on that. But it's important to know how much you can lift and carry safely, if your project requires more than one person to safely complete it, if you're used to bending over for long periods of time or squatting or sitting on your knees or getting up and down several times, you know, are these things that you can do normally and easily? Most of us are not used to getting up and down or bending over for long periods of time. So I think everybody's going to have some limitation there. It's good to plan in a little recovery time after your garden project and even maybe into the next day. It's pretty normal to overdo it on the first day of gardening just like you might if it's your first day back to working out after a long break. If you aren't a daily gardener, these chores may seem easy, but the repetition and duration of gardening chores can cause aches and pains the next day. Next, I want you to evaluate your gear. Invest in the right work boots for comfort and protection and make sure you have something to sit on or kneel on while you work. Additionally, have the right tools for your project before you start. You don't need anything fancy to plant seeds, but you may want to invest in a full-size shovel, hand trowel, garden cart, or wheelbarrow. If you're fortunate enough to have a lot of land and a riding mower, tow-behind carts come in very handy. Bear all of your tools and yourself in mind when planning or expanding your garden. You may not need ADA-accessible beds, but you will want to make sure your garden cart or wheelbarrow can fit between the beds. You also want to make sure that your bed is the right height for you, Everything I've mentioned as far as measuring, seeing if you can reach at a 45 degree angle up and down or straight in front of you, measuring all of these pieces of the puzzle, measuring you, is really going to tell you a lot about how to design your beds. And if you're willing to measure your carts, whether it's a wheelbarrow or garden cart that you're planning to use, you're going to have more success in your garden. And before I forget, find out what kind of turn radius your cart needs. I made the mistake of spacing my beds and main path for the width of my garden cart, but unfortunately, I never even thought about the turn radius. So now, my garden cart can't take a turn and go in between my beds at all. My solution was not to move the beds, though. Instead, I just closed off the the central pathways, leaving a main walkway path on each side and then a continuous bed that's separated by boards in between. This ended up being a really advantageous mistake because I can easily walk along a mulch path inside the bed or along the center boards connected to the edges when I harvest. But the initial bed filling was a challenge because the cart was loaded down with materials and I couldn't maneuver it the way I'd planned. When I made my pathways and bed size originally, I considered my height and arm reach at that time, the size of my cart and other tools, and my personal limitations. 
I built the garden based on these constraints. Then I made sure to only start a small part of the plan project, starting in the center of the plan. I planted that section and then I gave everything a few weeks to grow before starting another section. This helped break up my project so I wasn't so fatigued. Let me focus on a few plants at a time, which kept my daily chores down. And I was able to feel out my garden to make sure I liked the rest of my plan. As it turns out, I didn't. And I regularly improve and update my garden layout now, only keeping the sections that work best for me and then changing whatever didn't work. This is part of the reason I chose to use T-posts and cattle panels in my garden for vertical growing. I can easily move panels when something isn't working. For example, I notice I don't like getting on ladders to harvest off of the eight foot tall cattle panel because I have a habit of falling off of them. And this year I tried rotating the panel so it only stands four feet off the ground. My vines really prefer to grow much higher than four feet off the ground, but this was easier on my neck and shoulders, and as a bonus, I didn't have to use the ladder. I also changed the orientation of my panels to a north-south direction, which has a dual purpose. Originally, I thought that I could create a windbreak by blocking wind to the north, and my panels were directed from east to west. But those winds took my panels down super fast. I also found out that for any panels that were eight foot in the air, I needed to have another panel opposite to create an A-frame for stability to minimize wind damage from any direction. So it wasn't just me that required an adjustment. The actual garden didn't like my plan either. The benefit of changing to a north-south direction is now the wind goes through the garden, which does chill my plants a little bit, which was the whole reason why I wanted a windbreak to begin with. But having proper airflow actually really helps me out. There's bigger benefit in summer to having that airflow than having the windbreak in winter. Additionally, by having a north-south direction, I have sun from east and west either getting blocked or the plants are getting sun from east or west, depending on where those panels are located in the garden. The advantage is that I can create false shade for certain plants that are a little bit more sensitive in the evenings. By planting certain more difficult plants or by planting a cool season plant on the margin of summer, I actually can use those panels to my advantage and give those plants less sun. And then once the vines on those panels dies, it's usually in the period of time in the cool season where my cool season plants really do want full sun and temperatures have dropped enough to allow me to do that. The point is, make sure whatever you plan can be easily changed if you aren't certain if you made the right choice originally, or just start slow and piece your project together. Once you have your garden planned and big projects finished, it's time to carve out time to actually use the garden and maintain it. That's where I think most of us have a limitation that I mentioned earlier. What's your plan to fit in your garden activities around the holidays, vacations, and normal everyday life? Well, one tool that may be helpful is an automated watering system that can be set on a timer, or you may not want to invest in something that complicated and may choose to install Oyas just when you're out of town. A great way to minimize your chores so you can be away from the garden is to companion plant, which I don't believe I've gone in depth on in this podcast, but I will in the future. Companion planting usually refers to planting certain plants close together to minimize pest infestations. There's other benefits too. For example, I pair basil with my tomato plants. This year, I didn't get great tomatoes for other reasons, but there were no pests on my tomato plants like in years past when I didn't use companion planting. 
Plus, I really loved the insane amount of pesto I was able to make with all that basil. The only chore those two plants really gave me was pruning the tomato and pinching off flowers on the basil to extend the season in addition to the harvesting. I'll talk about this in the next podcast episode, but you should also decide which type of gardener you want to be in order to plan your gardening time. Are you a weekly gardener or less? Do you want to plant everything and show back up just for the harvest? Do you grow a lot of one type of crop and have a lot of processing to do to store your food? Do you grow a little here and there each day and harvest a little here and there each day? This is the type of gardener I've become because I wasn't getting the results I wanted by just showing up every now and then. However you garden, make sure you plan your garden and your life around major maintenance and harvesting. The example I like to give is, if you buy a peach tree, pick a variety with a harvest time frame that makes sense for your life. If you always have a family reunion on June 15th, don't pick a variety of peach that is known to ripen mid-June. It just doesn't make sense. This year, I actually moved a travel date to September because we had a drought summer, and I don't have an automated watering system for my garden. That may seem crazy to schedule my life around the garden, but I am devoted to growing food at home, and I'm devoted to respecting my time and money that I've already put into growing that food. So that's what I chose to do. And honestly, now that I'm filming the garden for a YouTube channel, well, it's sort of important to me that I have a garden to film in the first place. Until my garden is finished with all the additions and adjustments that I've mentioned before, I don't feel comfortable putting in a watering system. We've tried so many in the past that didn't work out, so the next attempt will have to be beefier anyways. But you can see how not having the proper tools for gardening, like not having an irrigation system or watering system of some sort, can make chores a challenge or make you feel like you're putting your life on hold to garden if you have a busy lifestyle. And if this is how you feel, there's a really good chance you're going to quit gardening before you even really got started. I'll talk about more tricks and things for you to think about related to that topic I just mentioned next episode, but for now, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. I believe if you have the right materials, the right attitude, and are willing to stay within the guidelines of what your body will physically allow you to do, anyone can garden. I encourage you to get creative with your materials and reuse things you already have in a smart way that allows your garden to evolve with you. A garden doesn't need to be perfectly maintained or use brand new materials or expensive materials to be a good fit for you. As always, thanks so much for learning with me today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast channel to get reminders when new episodes come out. This week's YouTube episode is on Bokashi composting. I've mentioned many composting methods in past podcasts and YouTube episodes, but Bokashi composting is a little different. Since today's podcast was about gardening for all ages and fitness levels, I'd say Bokashi composting is something almost anyone can do, no matter how big or small your garden is, because it's an indoor composting method that uses a sealed lid, and you can compost in a small container or a large container like I do. Check out that YouTube episode to find out if Bokashi composting is right for you. This is a great way to start your gardening chores, even if you don't have a garden yet. If you have questions about today's episode, or just want to see what's growing on in the test garden today, find me on Instagram. Free question and answer mini consultations for gardening, horticulture, landscape design, and homesteading are available weekly on Fridays in the daily stories section on the Instagram platform. If you need additional design support or advice, you can contact me through my website. All of my contact information can be found in the podcast channel description.